Hey everybody, welcome to episode 251 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from a beautiful, now fall day in Austin, Texas. And I'm eager to talk about one of my favorite topics today, which is long run workouts. How do you create workouts, whether you're doing a marathon or a half marathon, that help you prepare for the rigors of race day without overdoing it. That's what we're going to talk about today. I've got some do's, some don'ts, and then we'll talk about different types of long run workouts as we get into that topic. Before we get there, I wanted to start by introing with a listener question that came in response to my last episode on race planning, episode 250. This one comes all the way from down under in Australia from Eamon. And so I'll read this and then talk about the question. It's a great question from Eamon here. He says, I'm a longtime listener of the podcast and avid runner. I ran my first marathon in Brisbane in June this year. According to McMillan's calculator, I could have theoretically run 257, but my goal was to complete the race feeling good and build for next year. So my aim was 315. Despite my coach recommending to get on pace early and run pretty much even splits, I committed to the plan to go for a negative split. It was all going to plan and I felt good after 34K, at which point I sped up a little bit to close harder. That lasted for 2K and then I dropped off, finishing in 317 by the end. So I'm torn. On one hand, I really buy into the philosophy you bring to the podcast regularly, but in practice, I couldn't execute despite running what was potentially a fairly conservative pace for me. So I guess my question is, is a negative split marathon strategy something that you perfect over time and perhaps less is less suited to beginner marathon runners, which would include myself? Thanks for all the advice and tips you bring to Running Rogue. I've found it incredibly useful, inspiring, and it's helped me to kick lots of goals and keep improving into my early 40s. Amen. Okay, Eamon, first of all, thanks for listening. I know I have small following in Australia and always love to hear from my international listeners. The answer to your question in a word is yes. Beginners are also suited to a negative split, but it mean, that means they have to be smart about choosing that appropriate target and then, of course, executing the plan to go after that target. I can tell you as someone who's coached many, many first-time marathoners, I've seen this happen many times that a, a first-timer is able to finish strongly in their first marathon with the appropriate target time. I myself also executed a negative split in my first marathon in 2001 where I actually ran a 15-minute negative split in Chicago to finish in about 3.20. So... Yes, it's possible, but yes, it requires a really conservative target and then a plan to execute against that target that is appropriate. I can tell you that I know, at least from afar, the Brisbane Marathon course, I coached a runner to a 254 on that course actually this year. One of our podcast athletes also did that course, and so we spent a lot of time breaking that down to creating a plan that made sense for that race, and it's a course that's really challenging, that is really hilly. There's some tough bridges that create some some difficulty in the terrain, and I would equate that race to something similar to my hometown race, the Austin Marathon, in terms of the terrain. Because of all the ups and downs, it requires a really, really smart 
plan in order to execute and be able to finish strongly. And so you need two things, not just the right conservative target, but also the right plan to attack those hills in a way that leaves you something at the end. And that's really hard to do. The athletes that I'm talking about was able to do that, was able to finish strong over those final kilometers because he executed his plan to perfection. And as I look at your results, Eamon, breaking down the split data, it does appear that there could have been some opportunities there in terms of how you approach that race, particularly in not starting too fast. So if I look at the first 4K of your splits, then it actually, those are the fastest kilometers of your race. And really in this, in this case, you would want those to be actually some of the slower kilometers of your race in order to start conservatively, save energy for later. So if I, if I look at the data, it tells me that perhaps even with the conservative target, you were running too fast at the beginning, which likely cost you the energy to be able to finish strongly at the end. So it's not just having the right conservative target. It's also executing a plan that makes sense to go get that target. I think you had perhaps the right one in the conservative target, but not the other thing needed, which is to execute the right plan to finish strong. And by the way, you shouldn't beat yourself up over that. You still ran a great time, 317 on a target of 315 for your first marathon is absolutely amazing. So you should be proud of that. But definitely take this as a lesson that you can carry forward into your future races. Start more conservatively. Bank energy, not time. And I promise you, you'll be able to close at the end. So that's that's my answer for you, Eamon. I appreciate the email and wish you the best of luck in your future races. Okay, let's get to my main topic. And part of, by the way, being able to execute a plan regardless of what your experience level is in the marathon is doing long run workouts that prepare you for the day. We've talked about this before on prior episodes, but basically the long run, especially for the marathoners, but even for the half marathoners is a fundamental building block, maybe the most important fundamental building block to your training, not just to build aerobic capacity and to promote fueling efficiency, but also to build neuromuscular resilience. And as a part of that, we want to be doing some workouts within the long runs that we would call race preparation runs or race simulators that essentially prepare you for the day by incorporating speed work into the long run. It's a way of learning to run fast on tired legs. So in this episode, I want to drill specifically into that topic and talk about some do's and don'ts for doing and constructing long run workouts. And then I'll talk about three rough categories or types of workouts that I typically build into these type of race simulators. So that's what we're going to cover today. It's important again to note that this type of work is accessible to anyone. This is one of the things if you go to elite level marathoning. This is one of the key hallmarks of the work that they do. They are doing long run workouts that look similar to the ones that I'll describe today. If you go follow NAZ Elite on their their 
Final Surge pages, you can see workouts like this all over their training. This is this is a hallmark of elite marathoning. And all of us, regardless of experience level, have access to this fundamental training principle for how to get faster at the full and half marathon distances. We can all do it. Now, obviously, you have to build up to it. You What a first-time marathoner might do in this context might look different than what it would look like for a more experienced marathoner. And so there is certainly a scaling that might happen here. But all of us who want to get faster at these longer distances have access to this fundamental part of training that all elite level athletes that are racing at these distances are doing. You can do it too. And if you build up in the right way, then you can do it in a way that not only keeps you healthy, but of course challenged and then fit as a result. So we're going to drill into it. I've got four do's, four don'ts, and then we're going to talk about types of long run workouts. So here we go. First on my do list of sorts is that you want these long run workouts to be simulators for race day to be simulators for race day. What does that mean? That means that you should be simulating the gear you're going to use. You should be simulating the nutrition and hydration you're going to use. You should be simulating your routine around these as closely as you can to race day. You should be simulating the course to the extent possible, meaning that if you're going to be racing on a flat course that you do these long run workouts, at least some of them on flatter courses. And if you're going to be doing them on a hilly course or a downhill course that you use those long run workouts as an opportunity to simulate the course type as well, because that is going to affect the muscles that you use and how fatigue builds in your legs as you go. So you'll simulate the course. And then of course, you're going to use it as a simulator for pace. We'll talk more about that in a second. But recognize fundamentally that these are simulator opportunities. I typically recommend doing three to four of these types of workouts within a build. Within a build to a half, within a build to a full marathon. And every time you line up for one of these on your Saturday or Sunday long run days, you should be thinking about it like it's a race. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to have everything perfectly dialed in. It doesn't mean that you have to know exactly what nutrition works for you or exactly what shoes work for you. This is your opportunity to to try and to experiment and to test the things that you think might work for you on race day. So test the gels that you're going to use. Test the frequency of the gels that you're going to use. Test your hydration planning about how much fluid you're going to try to take in. Test the salt pills that you might use for electrolytes. Test the shoes. Test the clothing, the singlet, the sports bra, the body glide, all the pieces that come into this from a gear perspective you want to try. From a nutrition hydration perspective, you want to try those things. This is your opportunity to make mistakes with those elements before the big day. So use it as a simulator. As I mentioned, also simulate your routine. Think about that night before. What is dinner going to look like the night before? 
How will that map to what you will do the night before your actual race? Think about it in terms of breakfast the morning of. Think about it in terms of sleep and how you treat your body that night of and night before. Think about that routine so that you can set yourself up for success. And some people might say, well, I don't want to ruin my Friday night or my Saturday night, but we're only talking about three to four nights in a training cycle. This doesn't mean you have to be puritanical. It just means that when the big days are there in front of you, that you take them seriously and make sure you do everything you can to not only execute as best as possible for these workouts, but also to learn from experimentation through the simulation. And of course, teach your body how to adapt to the load that you will bear on race day. So that's number one. Treat it like a simulator in all sense. As it relates to the course simulation, to me, that's where you can have fun and be creative. It's a little bit harder maybe to do in certain places, but if you're creative about it, then you can potentially find a place that will mimic the terrain that you will face on race day. That doesn't mean it has to be perfect. Doesn't mean it has to be exactly the same, but you want to, to the extent possible. And, and again, not necessarily on every single one of these runs, but on at least one or two of them, find a course that is going to be similar. Flat for flat, rolling for rolling, downhill for downhill. We do big simulator runs here in Austin for our rogue athletes. We have a course that simulates the Boston course. We have a course that simulates the CIM course. When we run, when we do our training for the Austin Marathon, we run training runs on the actual course itself. And so if you're if you're running your hometown race, you have that opportunity. So so simulate the course so that you can not only visualize the process of covering that type of terrain, but also so that you can prepare your neuromuscular system to deal with that type of terrain. So that's number one is that these long run workouts, they are simulators. Treat them as such and experiment and learn accordingly. Number two, you want to challenge yourself without overdoing it. And I'll talk about the overdoing it part in a second, but let's feature for this topic, the challenge part. You want to challenge yourself. I like to call these workouts anything workouts which is to say that if you can do these workouts, then you can do anything. And that's not to say that you're going to run 13.1 miles at race pace or 26.2 miles at race pace, but you're going to do something hard enough that when you're standing on your virtual workout start line, you're questioning whether or not you can do it. You want it to be hard enough where you question whether or not you can do it while also not overdoing it. We'll talk about the not overdoing it part in a second on the don'ts. But again, when you, when you, when you start these workouts, you should be wondering, is it possible for me to do this today? If that's not a question in your head, then the workout isn't tough enough. If that's not a question in your head, then your workout isn't tough enough. I can remember we did a workout here in Austin and prep for Boston that was written by my coach, Coach Kathy Casey, who coaches our team rope group here now in Austin. 
And she wrote a workout for us that included some marathon segments, some marathon pace segments, some half marathon pace segments. And I genuinely showed up the morning of not knowing if I could get it done. And having to tell myself, as I would tell any athlete, to simply take it one chunk at a time. One mile, one step at a time, because that's the only way you can get these things done. And then let it play out. Don't try to run the whole workout at once. Just like I would tell you not to try to run the whole race at once in your head. Chunk it up, take it in smaller bites, and deal with the hard parts, the later parts, when they come. And that's what I did on that day. And sure enough, I was able to execute the workout exactly as prescribed by just taking it one step at a time. And so when you're thinking about, when you're planning, when you're writing, when you're building these workouts, you want them to be challenging enough that you wonder whether or not you can do it. But not so challenging that you bury yourself. We'll talk about that second part of this in the second segment of this where we talk about the don'ts, but make sure it's challenging enough whether you want wonder whether or not you can do it. Number three, you want to make sure that these build from one to the next. As I mentioned, I like to do three or four of these typically in a training cycle. We'll talk about the spacing of those in a little bit. But you want to make sure that they build, that the early versions of your long run workouts are more manageable, less scary, and that the later versions are starting to get more intense. And typically that last one, typically but not always, but typically that last one is the most intense of the build right before you go into your taper mode. And so you want them to build upon each other. So that you can not only adapt to the load, but also so that you can signal to your body the arc of the peaking that you're trying to execute in your training. Because all of this work is a signal to your body. And when you get to that place where you do the most work, where you do the most intense workout, that is not only something you should sequence so that you can execute it, but also something you sequence so that it's a signal to your body that says, okay, it's time to go. It's time to be ready. And so that's the arc that we're trying to build. And so you want to make sure that these build throughout from one to the next. And I'll talk about what that can look like a little bit later. Number four, you want to make sure you're integrating with integrating race pace work with work at faster paces in these long run workouts. I'll talk about this a little bit more as we go here, but I am not a fan of just doing marathon pace or just doing half marathon pace if you're running the marathon or half marathon respectively. I'm not a fan of that at all. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One reason is that, especially for the marathon, running marathon pace falls in a physiological no man's land. I've talked about this before on the podcast where if you're running at that pace, you're not actually getting physiological benefit because it's not quite slow enough to help build aerobic capacity and it's really not fast enough to build aerobic strength or endurance. And so you get into this physiological no man's land where 
it's it's sort of a waste of miles. And yet you have to run it in order to dial into that pace and learn to dial into that pace. And so you want to work that some, but you also want to work it in parallel to other paces. The other reason, for physiological reasons, the other reason is because in a race, I always want to make sure that you can close stronger than your target pace. I want to make sure you can close faster than marathon pace in a marathon. I want to make sure you can close faster than half marathon pace in a half marathon. And so in order to do that, you have to run faster paces inside big long runs to condition yourself to be able to do that on tired legs. And so in these long run workouts, we're going to integrate race pace. Yes, because you want to practice running race pace over longer distances. But you also want to integrate faster than race pace work so that you can get that killer instinct, so to speak, so that you can also learn to close and finish strongly on tired legs. So that's the fourth do here is that you want to integrate race pace, but also faster than race pace work into these long run workouts. So to quickly summarize our do's here, one is you want it to be a simulation. Two, you want these workouts to challenge you in a way that scares you just enough without overdoing it. Number three, you want to make sure they're building upon each other. There is an arc to these workouts so that your biggest workout is right before you taper as a signal to your body that it's time to peak. And number four, you want to make sure you're dynamic with your pacing in these workouts. Yes, work race pace, whether that be marathon pace or half marathon pace, but also work faster than race pace, which will ensure you that closing instinct. It'll also help you learn how to run race pace on tired legs, which we'll talk about some of the workouts that help us do that in a moment. So those are my do's. Let's talk about my don'ts. Some of these will have some overlap. But first of all, you don't want to add distance and workout intensity at the same time for your long runs. And this is, I would say, true 90, 95% of the time in the programming that I write. Occasionally for a more experienced athlete, I must admit I will incorporate workout, maybe a slight workout or a small workout into a long run as we build. But for the most part, the vast majority of the time, I want you to build distance, then add work. In other words, I don't want you to do a workout the first time you're running 16 miles or 18 miles or 20 miles in a marathon cycle. I don't want you to be doing pace work inside a long run for a half marathon the first time you're running 14 miles in a training cycle. You want to make sure that you get to the distance first and then you can incorporate work into that distance. So build volume then add intensity. Don't do both at the same time. That is a recipe for injury. That is a definite don't. Number two, and this may be related to the most common mistake I see in long run workouts, is people that just run race pace. So don't just run race pace. This is especially true of marathoners. I think half marathoners could get away with just running half marathon pace because there is a physiological benefit at half marathon pace that is related to aerobic strength, but you want to make sure that you're not just running 
marathon goal pace or just running half marathon goal pace. When I look at a lot of training programs out there, most of them for the quote everyday athlete are constructed in this way where if you are if you are doing work inside a long run, it's just at race pace. So I'll see marathon goal pace intervals and I'll see sometimes even see you having to do really long runs just simply at marathon goal pace and or the same for half marathon goal pace. Uh, a common question that I get from from athletes that aren't coached by me is is what race, you know, what should my race pace be if I if I've run 15 miles at my marathon goal pace? And that is my least favorite question because oftentimes I'm thinking in my head, well, you you just wasted 15 miles because not only are you pushing yourself in a way physiologically that doesn't make sense, but you're also stressing the neuromuscular system in a way that doesn't make sense. So you're, you're, you're in physiological aerobic benefit, no man's land, and you're also stressing the neuromuscular system in a way that could cause injury. So you're, you've basically got the double whammy of, of issues with a run that is just at marathon pace of that distance. So don't just run marathon pace. And if you're doing intervals, that's okay. I'll talk about some workouts where early in a cycle, I I like to do some just pure marathon pace or half marathon pace segments within a long run. That's okay. But that is entry level. That is be quote beginner level pace work. Because as I mentioned, we want to make sure we're, we're more dynamic in that, that we're working different paces to not only make sure we're getting better physiological benefit, but we're also stimulating fatigue by running some faster paces to make race pace feel harder. And then of course, we're also learning to run faster on tired legs. So don't just run MGP that has a place maybe in one of these workouts, but not all and should be used in a targeted way. Personally, for for marathoners, I don't like to see you ever do more than 10 miles in a long run at marathon goal pace. That is a rule of thumb that I generally follow. You don't want to do more than 10 miles at purely marathon goal pace. And for half marathon, it'd probably be about six. You don't, you don't want to do more than about six mar- six miles at half marathon pace within the context of a long run. You can do more work beyond that, but it should be at different paces. So that's number two. Don't just run MGP. Number three, don't overdo it. Don't bury yourself. Now this one's tricky and maybe the trickiest part of this equation. This is where having a coach is really helpful. But you want to make sure that you give yourself breathing room with these workouts that yes, they're scary. Yes, you're not sure if you can do them, but you don't want to finish basically having put out all the energy that you'll need later for your race. And that is a hard balance to get. Typically what that means is that you want to make sure you're not running and doing work for more than about 15 miles or 75% of 
a workout for marathoners. And I think the same rule generally would apply. And again, these are rules of thumb. They're not hard and fast rules, but 75% of a half marathon long run should, should be at some sort of pace. So make sure you have breathing room within the workout where you have some recovery elements and also so that the total work itself isn't too much. And so what does that look like practically? Practically, what I like to see again is not about more than 75% of a long run to involve some sort of work and not more than about 50% at your target race pace. You can use other paces, but again, those are general rules of thumb. The other thing I would think about is you don't want to do more than about five miles, typically, of consistent work within a workout in a marathon workout and more than about three miles of consistent work within a half marathon workout, meaning your segments within the workout should be chunked in a way that gives you that recovery opportunity so that at the end, you're not burying yourself. Those are all rules of thumb. You still have to put your brain on and use your your common sense associated with this rule. And by the way, learn as you go, as you do them, learn what your limits are, and then even listen to yourself within the workout. Listen to your body within the workout so that you don't overdo it. But you want to make sure that you go right to the line and not over it. It's a tricky line to toe. It's a tricky balance to get right. But those are some rules of thumb that you can use to get there. So number three, don't overdo it. Number four, don't put them too close together. That's that's a part of not overdoing it. But typically, I like to see at least two weeks between each of these big workouts. And so every third week within the race-specific phase, you could potentially be doing a long-run workout, but not more than that. And again, there are exceptions to every rule, but that's a general rule of thumb is give yourself at least two weeks between so that you're not doing more than one of these big workouts every three weeks. That is another good rule of thumb because you should be, again, prepping your body for race day without overdoing it. And there is a fine line to walk there, but you have to make sure you're getting it right by not only not overdoing it within the day itself, but also making sure you have some space between. So to recap the don'ts, don't add distance and work at the same time, meaning don't do a long run with a workout at a distance that you hadn't run yet prior to that cycle or prior in that cycle. Two, don't just run marathon goal pace or half marathon goal pace. Don't just run race pace. Make sure your pacing is dynamic, especially in the later workouts. Number three, don't overdo it. So go to the edge, but don't go over it. And number four, don't put these too close together, which is a a corollary to that overdoing it point. Okay, now let's talk about types of workouts, types of workouts. And I will give you three here. And... Really, there's as many as you could want. One of the things that I like about coaching is being creative with these, keeping them dynamic so that athletes aren't doing the same long run workouts every single cycle because when you do that, then it becomes easier, frankly. And I want to challenge people. 
And so I'm constantly adjusting these workouts that I give you, that I give runners so that they're having new challenges and facing new mental demons every single time. And so I'll give you three here and give you some examples. Number one, pure race pace workouts. There's pure race pace workouts. Typically, I only like to do one of these per cycle, but it's just the simple segments at marathon pace or simple segments at half marathon pace. This is, again, entry level. So this should be the ones you use at the at the beginning of your race-specific phase. The first workout in a, in a cycle should look like this. But this would be where you would have segments at marathon pace or segments at half marathon pace with recovery running at long run pace in between. And that can look like anywhere from 10-minute segments at MGP up to potentially three- or four-mile segments at MGP typically not more than that and then for half marathon somewhere between five to ten minutes at half marathon goal pace typically if i'm doing a smaller fart like style version of this and then usually up to about two miles at half marathon goal pace within a workout those that's a simple bread and butter version of this type of workout it's race just race specific pace this is a way to ease into these long run workouts without overdoing it. But you're mixing it up with segments of easy running in between. So that's number one, quote unquote, entry level beginner version. That's where you should start. Number two, in and out workouts. This is where you're alternating paces, typically with a faster pace than race pace, alternating with race pace in some form or fashion. I wrote one for our podcast training group for this cycle. Got to give a shout out to my former coach, John Shrupp. He inspired me with this one, but it was two times 40 minutes with five to 10 minutes of easy running in between. And those 40 minute segments were 10 minutes at half marathon pace, rolling straight into 20 minutes at marathon pace, rolling straight into 10 minutes at half marathon pace, recovery jog of 10 minutes, and then repeat that for another 40 minutes. That was a big version of this. We have another workout that we use at Rogue that we call the Tiger Run. This one was actually written by Steve himself, inspired by Bill Squires, who has the, the quote that the long run puts the tiger in the cat. And for that one, we would alternate between 90 seconds at 10K effort with five minutes at marathon effort as an example of a workout that would be in and out. And so the goals typically with an in and out workout is that you're using the faster pace to generate fatigue so that you have to work harder to recover and maintain at race pace. And so that's the magic of these workouts where the faster work helps you generate fatigue, helps you get tired, helps you get into a darker place so that when you have to get back to race pace, that's the place where you have to learn to get comfortable, where you have to learn to recover, where you have to learn to dial in and be smooth and rhythmic so that when you get back to the faster stuff, you've got something there. And so these in and out workouts are really good at building resilience around being able to run race pace. They're also really good at showing you that, hey, when you get tired, when you think you can't run faster, can if you commit to those gear changes. 
The third type, so that's an in-and-out workout. The third type is what I call a progressive finish workout. And these can come in different forms as well. But typically, a progressive finish workout will have some race pace work early on, maybe some pace, some work at slower than race pace or slightly slower than race pace. And then you finish at the end in progression format or or at at paces that are faster than your race pace. And so this could look like the McClunk Special, which I've described before on this podcast where you actually do a progressive start simulation and so this one look and then a progressive finish simulation so this one looks like five miles easy to start as a warm-up rolling into five miles starting at typically marathon pace plus 30 seconds and progressing down to marathon pace over those first five miles one mile easy two to three miles of one one fartlek hard easy alternating between one minute on and one minute easy, typically one mile easy, and then a five-mile finish where you're starting at marathon pace and progressing down to faster than that. So the finish is a finish simulator where you learn to, after all of that hard work, finish faster than race pace. That's one of the hallmark workouts that we give. So a progressive finish We've also, we also did a track finish in this cycle, both for half marathoners and marathoners, where we were having them run race pace in the early parts of the workout and then get to a track where they had to run mile repeats starting at half marathon, working down to 10K pace. And yes, they were mile repeats, but they were progressive. That was the goal anyway, progressive at the end so that you were learning to run fast on a track at tire, on tired legs which builds confidence that you can close out a race when you're fatigued. So that's the third type. And again, these are broad categories and you can, and you can create workouts under those categories. There are different types of workouts beyond that as well, but those are three broad categories and really the sky's the limit in terms of your ability to be creative with these workouts. But that's where I have fun as a coach is creating some, diabolical workouts to really bring out the best in my athletes. And I would encourage you to be creative with it too and and think about all the variables. Whether you're writing your own program or consulting with a coach, think about the variables. What does your race require? And the answer to that question often leads you down some paths for creativity on these workouts. The other thing, last thing I'll say as I wrap this up is that while while I believe that these types of workouts are fundamental building blocks to a successful training cycle, I also want to make sure that I emphasize at the end here that that doesn't mean they have to go perfectly. And in fact, as a coach, I kind of prefer it when they don't go perfectly. If I'm being perfectly honest, I actually like it when these workouts are challenging for whatever reason and in whatever form. Because what I want to see is that you have the opportunity to obviously work the physiological side of the equation here with these things that we're talking about, but also that you work the mental side of the equation. And the fact is, it likely won't be perfect on race day. 
And for whatever reason, you're going to deal with some demons. You're going to deal with some challenges. And so I like it to be imperfect too in training. So you have something to face and maybe it's fatigue a little earlier than you expected. Do you have to fight through or maybe struggling at the end when you thought you might have another gear, but it just doesn't seem to be there in spite of all of your best efforts. So I like to see some adversity in these workouts. And if you see that too, that's okay. Don't beat yourself up. Don't don't think that you have to hit every pace in order to have success in these types of workouts. And in fact, really, it's not about that. It's not about perfection. It's about going out there, trying your best, giving it your all, dealing with whatever comes, and then take your lessons, reflect on it from the good and the bad, and carry that forward into your next workout. And of course, into the race itself. That's how you have success on these days is by the things that you learn and not by necessarily the paces that you perfectly hit. And that's something I always emphasize with my runners, something as a coach that I want to see is what do we learn from this that we can carry forward to make us stronger for the day that matters. That's how you measure success on, on these types of workouts. And so make sure you keep that in mind as you go about executing them yourself. So there you go. Though that's those are my do's, don'ts, and types of long run workouts. Hopefully you can take some lessons from that and incorporate them into your next training block. Okay, I'll wrap this episode here. You can always check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.